What would you say you do here? There's not a single job in this town. There's nothing, nada, zip. Yeah, unless you want to work 40 hours a week. What if this is as good as it gets? You want answers? My job is to make sure that you do your job pretty much in your face. I want the truth! Looks like you've been missing a lot of work lately. You can't handle the truth! This is going to be a great day. Welcome. This is In Business with Mike Whitaker, a show for the number one group who will determine our society's prosperity for a generation. Successful business people, the challenges we face, the answers we need, the debates that make us better, the motivation we need to take risks every day. This show is for the person who makes a living in business and wants to do better and personally feel more confident about their approach. Mike Whitaker is the main guy here. Now, whether you're an entrepreneur, CEO, CFO, manager, supervisor, human resources manager, whether you own a large company or a small business company, even if it's an at-home business, whether you own a retail store, a service business, manufacturing company, or something unique, this show is for you. I'm Gary Owen, co-host with Mike. Mike is a CEO. He's an entrepreneur. I like to call him the entrepreneur's entrepreneur. And as you get to know Mike and listen to this program, you'll understand why. Mike is a business advisor. He's a coach. He's an author of a brand-new book called Entrepreneurial Prison. And that's soon to be released. He's a keynote speaker, and he does business workshops. If you're looking for fresh ideas, motivation, business evaluation, and coaching, Mike is your man. And this week, if you're in sales or if your business is about sales or involved is involved in sales, this is the show. This, this is the show. Good morning, everyone. This is the show that will cost you or pay you thousands and thousands of dollars if you will actually listen, take to heart, and uh, put some of this stuff into practice. And very excited about this week's show. We have a guest today, uh, Patrick Spahn, and we are going to uh, hit him with a lot of questions that uh, all of us that are interested in the sales level we've got and how to raise it or how to recover from a downturn in sales. It's a very important show. So with with the format of the show, we've, we're going to uh, make an exception this week, and we're going to run question and answer as much as we can with Pat for the majority of today's show. And so, uh, But we are going to take you through the fundamentals checkup on a sales engine, what's required. Uh, it's, it's a very important time, Gary, to look under the hood, you know, find out what Absolutely. we've got going and and uh, separate the excuses from just poor strategy. So uh, again, this show will make you money. Don't touch that dial. I want to ask you something about, you know, last couple of shows we've talked about the loyal listener program. I want you to talk about that a minute. You know, just to get us in the habit to start our work week on Saturday mornings to get our mindset for Monday. Uh, you know, we want to encourage people to listen to the first 10 shows and each show we have a key word we're going to give you and any listener that can deliver us the 10 key words when we ask for them at, at week 10 will uh, get an entrepreneur prison uh, signed copy of the book and as well as uh, we will feature you somehow some way on this show because you obviously are making the effort to be better every day and that, so that's the loyal listener program your entrepreneurial prison talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that because we talked you know, about that the last couple of weeks I began chronicling chronicling the uh, all the the, the good side and the bad side and the things you you know you you notice as an entrepreneur as you go through building businesses and mm-hmm. uh, I, I just was amazed at one point I had such a inventory of experience and uh, and stories and uh, insights into what to do and what not to do that I thought what if I could show people what not to do so they didn't have to waste time and go through the same pain I did and so uh, it's a it's a positive book but it's one that uh, entrepreneurs uh, I almost think of it like a you know it's a it's a almost like an entrepreneur's 
Father's Bible because uh, if you knew what was in it, you would get where you want to be in life a lot faster. And that is the, the goal of the book. And I would say this, even if you're not an entrepreneur, this book could affect other areas of your life because it's all about problem solving. It's all about motivation. It's all about positive things that can turn things around for yeah, you. Yeah, it's about choices. Yeah. You know, these, these, these forks in the road we hit and, and making the right choice the first time saves you time, money, frustration, and all those things. Now, I so. want to tell our audience your website is an absolute knockout, and, and there's a lot of material on there that you can go to um, throughout the week. You've got some videos that uh, I was thrilled to see on the website. Talk about yeah, those, those videos are there for people to you know make you think. Uh, there's there's on whether or not you want to start your own business. There's some on control issues in in your life and confidence. You know, one of my themes is raising confidence and all the things we try to do because we're at our best when we are confident. So the videos we have on that, there's about eight of them. Uh, you know, they ra- they're short and they're there to make you think. And I think they're a nice resource for people. Uh, we we have a lot of things we have to do every day in our normal routine, but how often every day do we actually uh, make ourselves think? And so what's in the business news this you know, week, Mike? Uh, good stuff, I know. Before we get to the sales curing all ills, which, which is something that everyone can relate to, there's two interesting things I saw this week. Uh, one is that uh, restaurant traffic, uh, the report came out about how far it's down in the recession. And I mm-hmm. thought that was – I knew it was going on because the discounting you've seen in these restaurants. You know, We talked to the two-for-one specials and the entrees for $9, $9, and they used to be 20 and. You know, restaurants are hurting. Well, in case anyone's in that industry, uh, the data is kind of interesting. Overall, it's down 2.6%, the sharpest decline since 1981. And uh, But most interestingly to me was the household with children has scaled back their restaurant visits the most. And that makes sense. And and the households with children uh, are are over half of that decline. Mm. Breaking it down from fast food, down 2%. Midline casual dining restaurants, 4%. And then mid-scale restaurants, just above that, down 6%, and they're, of course, down the most. So, uh, you know, just it's happening, obviously, because there's there's less to spread around, right? And, right? But uh, and I also think it reflects that those with kids, uh, you know, by the time your kids go to the restaurant and they order the drink and they want the appetizer and whatever, you're, you're looking at, you know, 20 bucks a plate, yeah, sure. and you just can't, you just can't do that all the time. So, uh, but... Four thousand restaurants were went out of business in the last three uh, last three months. Ouch. April, May, June in the United States, and it's going to keep going because we overbuilt. I uh, like a lot of things, uh, and um, but the, you know you know me, the entrepreneurial opportunity here is there's a ton of shells, restaurant shells, from in strip centers to standalone buildings that are going to be available for things people haven't thought of. I've seen restaurants taken and turned into uh, places to sell screen printed embroidery uh, sportswear. Because, you know, it's just sitting there, and the landlord wants to put something in it. So there's opportunity there. The second item is um, corporate espionage. And the thing about that is there's a surge upward in people stealing information. And this is relevant for business because uh, people that are trusted with data, uh, you know, Anywhere from family members to janitors, they're now able, they now are taking uh, business information and using it as a almost a parachute or a kind of a life preserver of security. And in, whether it's real or not for them, uh, but in a survey, it was done this last week. Uh, USA Today published. Uh, it said that seventy-four uh, percent of people knew how to circumvent security to access sensitive data in a company, and thirty-five admit percent admitted to doing so without permission. And the things they'd usually take or, or deal with the most is customer databases, email controls, and CEO passwords. And so just be smart. And the point this we're making here is that uh, if, you're, if you're sensitive and or vulnerable, um, 
you can take some minimal minimal effort and you can control uh, have a little more sense of uh, confidence in your security because you know make no mistake someone is going to crawl over you to get to that sale or get to that customer database or get to whatever mm-hmm. they have to um, even if they don't do the right way and fall you know by the by the upstanding rules we like to follow in business uh, you got to assume the worst so anyway that that was those two things were in the news today so you got to keep your edge you were talking about the restaurant uh uh, investment opportunities out there. In fact, there was a uh, uh, something that I know about in Guthrie, Oklahoma, recently. Really nice uh, little, uh, what I would call a mom and pop type restaurant. Very, very nice restaurant. Having to go out of business, and the restaurant assets and all were for eighteen thousand dollars. And it, this was one of those nice, nice restaurants. And all the owner wanted was enough capital to pay off the debt and get out of it. And I'm thinking, and it's in a great location. It's a nice, I mean, it's almost a walk-in, turn the lights on kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you see those opportunities out there, if you're in the restaurant business, if you're looking for opportunities, they are out there. Let's talk about our show. Now, the the rest of the hour, we're going to be dedicating to those in sales. Sales cures all uh, ills is the kind of the stamp you've put on this. Yeah, you know, with more sales, everything gets better, right? Uh, budgets get well, better. Well, we hope so. <laughs> we hope so. The sales are the right kind, which Pat will probably talk about. Uh, sales are the right kind. They're profitable. But, you know, right now, our engines and our, and our business models are built on a certain level of expectation we had for sales this year. And, yeah. of course, everyone revised their budgets. In fact, uh, I know budgets were revised every month from January on this year by almost every company because they just did not know uh, what to expect. Well, Regardless, running a sales model correctly is something very few companies do. Uh, they have highlights. They have spots they are successful. But a lot of times, like when things are going really well, they'll start to take shortcuts. They'll start to not replace a salesperson. Or they'll start to not incent people to do the, you know, certain things uh, for the long term. When these, these low tides, these low-ish th- low times, you know, we've got – uh, a need to look at the sales model. So yeah. that's what today's about. And, and our guest, Patrick Spahn, uh, he's, a, he's a sales coach. He's a, he's a mentor, and he's somebody I've worked with in the past. And, uh, you know, we're going to discuss this engine. And, I, and, and Pat, I, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to remind you that, uh, you know, as a, as a – I look at the sales department in a certain way. And we're going to, in the next segment, go through – how I see it, how we see it as a, as a as an owner, as a manager, and the overall benefit of the organization. So, Gary, when yeah, when we come that. back, we're going to talk with uh, the great guest Patrick Spawn. Don't go away. You're listening to In Business with Mike Whitaker. For free confidential small business advice, call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or log on to SCORE.org. Every year, thousands of people get help from SCORE when starting or growing their companies, and you can be one of them. My SCORE counselor taught me how to create a business plan and make sound financial projections so that I could get a small business loan. I don't think I could have approached my bank so confidently without SCORE's help. SCORE mentors can help with business planning, cash flow management, and market analysis. My SCORE mentor walked me through the steps of identifying a market, researching the competition, pricing my product, and so much more. Call SCORE at 800-634-0245 to meet with experts who have been in your shoes. All I really needed was a sounding board for my ideas, someone I could trust. My SCORE counselor talked me through my business questions and gave me the courage I needed to expand. If you're a small business owner or thinking about starting a company, call SCORE today, 800-634-0245, or visit SCORE.org for free confidential advice. SCORE is a nonprofit association and a resource partner with the U.S. Small Business Administration. 
Not every business or entrepreneur knows what to do next. Many business strategies are old and effective and cannot raise investment dollars. If your department or company wants to find strategic advantages that you can use to leap forward, the team at Idea Gateway is available. Idea Gateway specializes in fixing business models and building growth strategies, and they don't waste your time or theirs. Simple results with Idea Gateway. Call 918-528-3800 or visit ideagateway.com. Life is so busy these days. Busy, busy, busy. Mm, What, with two jobs, three kids, a dog, four hamsters? School, youth group, piano lessons, soccer games. We barely have time to breathe. Hey, don't worry, honey. I scheduled breathing for, let me see, oh yeah, later this week. So when we needed to get facts on financing our kids' education? We thought, oh boy, this will only take forever. But it didn't. You see, we called the Federal Citizen Information Center at 1-800-FED-INFO. And we spoke to a real live person who gave us the real live help we needed. 1-800-FED-INFO has fast answers to questions about everything from finding a government job to buying a home. All sorts of government services and benefits. So look, if your life is as busy as ours... Busy, busy, busy. uh, Got it. (laughs) Just call 1-800-FED-INFO. Did you say fed? Uh, Were the kids fed? (gasps) Wait, what's today? When the question is government information and services, the answer is 1-800-FED-INFO. When you wake up in the morning with your head on fire and your eyes too bloody to see, gonna cry in your coffee, but don't come bitching to me. Because you had to be a big shot, didn't you? You had to. Back in business with Mike Whitaker, I'm Gary Owen. How long has it been since your business has had a sales checkup? Well, we're going to hopefully give you some ideas on how to better do that on this program. Mike? Our guest, Patrick Spahn, is here today. And again, I talk I talk about how it feels to be looking at your sales department. First, as an owner, I walk by the sales people or the department. I think, you know, I'm writing payroll checks today. Uh, I want to know what I'm getting for my money. And then I'm as a manufacturing or product production manager. I see the salespeople a little differently because I look at them and I think, I hope they're cooking up something good today. You know, I hope they're cooking up some good opportunities. You know, I don't need production people worrying about a lack of work, et cetera. Got to keep things going and always going up. A lot of codependency we have for sales. So that's why it's such a critical thing. It's the beginning of the funnel, isn't it, Pat? Absolutely. You know, we discussed the... uh, fluctuations that are going on with companies, you know, sales being down. We talked about in the downsizing uh, show we did a few couple weeks ago, uh, you know, 15 to 20% on average businesses sales are down. And it's because of delayed purchases. It's because of people just deciding not to purchase uh, for different reasons. So, but the way the show is going to work today with Pat and our sales expert is uh, I have a series of questions and I had a lot of fun putting these together from my own experience. Mike, let's find yeah. out a little bit about uh, Well, you Patrick. know what? That's real important. Yeah, let's find out about who he is and uh, a little bit about his background. Well, I am a, uh, a mentor, a sales coach, and uh, currently own a, uh, a business here in Oklahoma City. Uh, the, the design of the business is to mentor business owners to make them better business owners, specifically in the area of sales. What is your sales background, how, and how long have you been in sales? Been in sales about, uh, gosh, eighteen years. Now. And is, and has it been a broad spectrum of of uh, sales expertise, or in one particular one or two particular areas? It has been pretty broad. Uh, my my expertise uh, really grew out of insurance sales, and mm, that's, uh, tough. that's a tough one. Yeah, right. You have to learn how to sell air pretty quickly. 
and uh, <laughs> you can sell air, you can sell anything. <laughs> That's so, good. I like that one. Right. So uh, spans a, a pretty broad spectrum of business. Well, let's get into it then, Pat. Glad to have you here. Uh, let's say that I'm an average small to medium business, and I have a sales force, and sales are down right now, and I've got to do something about it. All right, where do we start? Well, the first place you have to start is with the numbers. You have to measure your business. If you're not measuring your business, you're, you're making the biggest mistake of your entire professional career. Well, what am I measuring? Well, a lot of this is going to depend on, obviously, your business, but you have to measure initial calls by your salespeople into your prospect's pool. Measure that against, in a manufacturing business, if they get a quote. In an insurance business, if they get what we would call a sit or an appointment. If you're in a uh, franchise, selling franchise business, uh, it would be a second phone appointment. So you have to measure the ability to take a, a pool of prospects and get from A to B, B being your, your presentation area. So you're really, you're measuring what it takes to get to something that's a warm opportunity, right? That's right. right. That's right. What do you mean when you discuss things like types of phone activity? What, what do you mean when you work on that? Well, for any good salesperson, unless you're selling, uh, you know, unless you're in retail sales or in automobile sales, you're probably going to start all of your sales activity with a phone call. So you have to be very astute on the phone. And uh, you have to study. Uh, I, I've always said if you want to be happy, study happiness. If you, want to, if you want to be wealthy, study wealth. So why don't we study people that are dynamite on the phone? How do we do that? Right? So we have to study that and we have to become very, very good at phoning. That's your first impression. Without sounding like it's scripted. That's right. I mean, that I, I've run into that a lot as a, just as a consumer, is you get a lot of people who pitch on the phone, and you can tell within the first 10 seconds that they're reading a script. That's India calling, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, not necessarily. <laughs> I know, I know. So when we have types of phone activity, we, what do we coach these salespeople? You know, how do they break down their phone activity? Well... What I like to do is I like to schedule specific hours of the day for the salespeople for certain activities. And I generally like to call, uh, we call it dialing for dollars in my business. And I like to dial for dollars between the hours of 9 and 11 and uh, 1 and 3. Now, the reason for that is anywhere between 11 and 1 o'clock, you've got lunch. Anywhere from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock in the morning, you have opening your day activities. And uh, pretty much anything after 3 o'clock for most purchasing managers or people you're going to reach on the phone is going to be scheduling their days. Uh, you know, four, after 4 o'clock, they're concentrating on getting their desk shut down and getting out of the building. So those are the most productive times. And those times, too, I recall doing the same discipline with you. And, uh, you know, the cold calling, the hard part is in the sweet hours, right? And you've got to get your game on. You've got to get your revved up for that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that we recommend that I've been in uh, probably 150 different businesses over the last couple of years talking to people about their sales activity and, and coaching their salespeople. And uh, one of the biggest mistakes that they make is that they set them at a desk and there's nothing in front of them. They should be putting a mirror in front of them. Their script should be on the table in front of them. And they should all have headphones to wear. 
uh, and I can recommend a brand and a kind, and they should be looking in that mirror. And if they're frowning, if they are nervous, if they have anything else on their face but a smile and enthusiasm, then you need to be coaching that salesperson. Right, and even listening in, I recall seeing you tap into salespeople to listen in on their conversations. Absolutely. And you coach them, right? Absolutely. Plantronics, I'll put a little plug in for Plantronics. They sell a, a splitter that you can plug in, and your sales manager can sit on the other side of the phone or other side of the desk with, uh, with uh, that prospect on the phone. Prospect won't hear the sales manager on the call, but, but the uh, sales manager can certainly coach up the salesperson while they're on the phone. But, Patrick, don't you think that this is also important in in-person sales? I mean, I can't tell you how many times as a consumer I've walked into a business, and some of these salespeople act like they hate their job. And the first thing that turns me on as a consumer, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a, a, a retail store, is being greeted with someone who's cheerful, upbeat, has a positive attitude about their aura. And, I mean, that works on both sides of the glass, doesn't it, phone or in person? It absolutely does. I used to believe that we hired on skill and on the sales classes that uh, that salespeople had gone through, on their resume, things like that. Today, I just don't believe that. Today, I believe we hire on attitude and we teach skill set. And that goes right down to the receptionist. You call them any kind of business. I mean, the salesmanship starts at the reception desk. And if you've got somebody who's just been, even if the phones are busy and somebody calls and they're short with you like they can't get to you, they should stay, take that moment every time they answer the phone and because that, they're representing the business. That is exactly, exactly right. The very first sales management job I ever had, I advised the owner to answer the phone, make it a wonderful day at XYZ Business. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? Right. That enthusiasm transfers to your prospect, to your customer. And when your salesperson picks up the phone and they understand that your receptionist answered the phone that way, then their game has to be on when they're talking. You know, uh, I'm reminded uh, of something, you know, sales volume being down right now for a lot of companies. Pat, you know, what's the most important thing to look at in terms of sales activity? You've got sales productivity things you can look at, the things you're measuring, but you also have the sales volume. So what would you be looking at right now? What, what is the, the most important thing to understand right now? And- activity. Activity is the most underrated um, number that is measured today. A lot of people say, well, activity numbers aren't important. We're just going to go for a certain demographic or we're going to go for a certain sweet spot in the market. That is complete bunk. Your salespeople need to be doing 50% more in activity today than they did 18 months ago. You can sell your way out of this cycle if you're willing to put in the activity numbers. So that activity is how many calls out? How many calls out? How many quotes or how many sits? Or, how many, right? That's right. How many quotes, how many sits, how many follow-ups to existing customers? You can, you can increase the amount of revenue with your existing customers. So, you're, so my average sale could still be down in vo- revenue because they don't simply that people may be buying less or can afford less, but my activity should not have changed. In fact, you're saying that's right. it should go the other way. That's right. It should actually go up, and the increased activity will increase sales. Our guest this week is Patrick Spahn, and he is a sales professional, a sales coach. The theme of our show is the sales checkup. We have a lot more to come on this second side of In Business with Mike Whitaker.
hope you've had a good week, and we hope that this Saturday morning program will get you off to another positive week for next week. This is In Business with Mike Whitaker. I'm Gary Owen. And as you get to listen to this program, you'll get a lot of great information, uh, tips on how to improve and make your business more successful. Mike? On each week, too. So let's make it a habit. Hopefully, Saturday mornings you can join us. And we're with Patrick Spawn talking about the sales checkup. All right, I'm going to continue with the questions that uh, I think are really relevant for our business people. Uh, you know, as you walk around and you see salespeople in an organization, as an owner, you look at them as, a, as your roster of talent. And as a manager or a supervisor, you look at them as your peers or people that are really bringing you necessary, uh, you know, revenue. Uh, Pat, how do you sort out the different levels of salespeople you'll find in any organization? You know, is there a normal mix? Well, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of organizations believe in the the old 80-20 rule. And, uh, you know, I've never been a big fan of that. Listen, if, if you've got 10 salespeople, two are generating all your revenue, fire the other eight, all right? Because it's a, it's a waste of uh, revenue for your company. That would be my philosophy. So today what you need to be doing, we mentioned earlier that we need to measure our businesses. We need to measure our sales departments. We need to measure all of the salespeople. And I think you used the term codependency earlier. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be codependent with our employees. If an employee looks up and a salesperson looks up at a sales manager and says, I don't understand why I'm being let go, then you have a codependent organization. Mm-hmm. Your sales manager should line out clearly what the expectations are for the salespeople in that organization. How many calls should they make? What should the ratio from call to sit or call to quote be? What should the ratio be from quote to close? What should those ratios be? What should a follow-up call yield? Should you be able to open new business for every 10 follow-up calls? Those numbers need to be outlined and laid out to your salespeople. If then you measure your salespeople that way and you can then objectively look at the results of that measurement, it's much easier to pull the trigger on either upgrading talent or letting people go. Well, you know, my number one frustration in business has always been uh, dealing with the different ability levels in mm-hmm. these salespeople. So, like in a uh, in a horse racing analogy, I had a racehorse, but sure. what do you, what do you, what are the rest of them? Well, you've got a plow horse, which uh, obviously that that doesn't need any explanation. You've got the uh, workhorse in the middle. And you've got the uh, racehorse at the top. Okay. Now, every organization is going to have racehorses and workhorses. But I would tell you that today, and this is going to sound a little mercenary, but today it, it is the absolute best time to let go of your plow horses and hire workhorses or racehorses. They are available. I have a question uh, I wanted to throw in here real quick. You know, mm-hmm. we were talking about people and the quality of people. How do you recruit good salespeople? What kind of assets do you look for? We have a lot of business people probably listen to this show. They say, well, you know, I've, I've hired person after person after person. I've invested lots of time and training and money, and I just can't seem to find that right person. How do you do that in your screening? I, I assume there's probably some particulars that you look for in the interview process. Sure. One of the things, uh, one of the most important things that I look for today, as I mentioned earlier, is attitude. I look for enthusiasm. I look for people that are not necessarily the most knowledgeable in sales. Hey, listen, your organization is unique to you. Mm-hmm. So just because they have a specific aptitude to sell baseball gloves or leather goods, it doesn't actually mean that they have the aptitude to sell your specific product or service. So if you 
begin to filter or sort in the interview process and hire people based on attitude, based on enthusiasm. They must have some sales background, but attitude and enthusiasm first. Then it will be a much better fit for your organization. The reason that people turn salespeople over is only one of two reasons. One, they simply don't have the skill set to be able to function in the job. Or two, you've got a sales manager that's running people out of the room. Mm -hmm. If you hire on attitude and you have a mediocre sales manager, your, your people with good attitude and enthusiasm will still succeed. And the plow horses are relieved. And the plow horses are relieved. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's a great question, uh, the profile of the top salesperson. Uh, for that top salesperson, Pat, how much coaching and management does that type of racehorse need versus the plow, you know, the workhorse? Mm-hmm. Well, I've always believed that, that skill set training is important for everybody, but understand that your top people are going to be self-motivated people. They're going to be out there learning their craft. They're going to be studying their craft, reading books, going to seminars. They're going to be trying new approaches and better approaches. They're going to be upgrading their technology. They're going to be doing all kinds of things to gain a competitive advantage over their competition, over the other salespeople that are are competing against them. And so the top people – You'll need to do some skill training, but it's more really product training than it will be skill set training. They'll figure out a way to sell a sailboat. They'll figure out how to sell a baseball. They'll figure out how to sell your IT and and your software that that you're pitching out in the community. So the high performer doesn't need to be told A to B to C to D. Not much. What the high performer needs, the high performer needs a high amount of emotional support, meaning you need to get to know them. You need to invest in the relationship with them because the biggest trait that you'll find, the biggest reason that high-caliber salespeople turn over is because they get bored. Mm -hmm. They conquer the mountain. If you understand that about your high-caliber salesperson and then you understand their personality, you understand what drives them at home, you understand what drives them in, in the rest of their life outside of work, it allows you then to get into other areas that they can then set as goals. If they've hit their company goal, their financial goal, what's next? Well, that happens to the owner, too. I mean, I would challenge the ownership, the listeners out there. I'll bet a lot of you have never even experienced a top salesperson in your organization. You wouldn't know a racehorse if you saw it in your business, because if you did, you would now change your appreciation for what a sales force can be, right? That's right. And on that note, let's talk about taking care of your salespeople financially by rewarding them with strokes. I mean, letting them know how important they are to your organization. I I know of several businesses where top salespeople are not recognized for their uh, results. Well, yeah, how important is recognition? Yeah, it's very important. I mean, sometimes credibility, stroking, thank yous. Or what types, maybe? Yes, exactly. What do you think about that? Well, again, I I mean, I I think recognition is is a uh, good thing. But I would tell you that if your sales manager, your owners, get to know these these top performers well outside of the workplace. Do they have kids? How many kids do they have? Where are they send them to school? Those kinds of things. They understand what's really driving that salesperson. Then the recognition comes in connection with the real goal that the salesperson have, has. That salesperson, for instance, may say, I want to send all of my kids to a local private uh, high school. Mm-hmm. Well, 
the fact that they were the top salesperson and they earned those commissions that will allow them to send those kids to the to the private school should be mentioned to the other salespeople when they mm-hmm. are recognized. That's good. Mm-hmm. Tying the personal goals back to their performance is much more important than a company owner saying, we just made X number of dollars this year because our, our racehorse was successful. You know, some of that is the racehorse understands that they are a, a gun for hire. That's right. I mean, and, and the way they embed themselves long-term in an organization is going to be for emotional and personal reasons because they can go get a job anywhere. That's right. A good salesperson is always in demand, regardless of what happens. If you look back to the Great Depression, good salespeople still made a living. Any of the recessions that you've studied, good salespeople have, has, have made a good living. I've been through two good-sized recessions and, and have made six-figure incomes through both of them. So... This goes out to the, uh, again, back to the top managers and the owners. In the past, you know, although I've known I've had uh, some mediocre salespeople, I've been hesitant to upgrade them because it seemed like it took two years for them to learn the product and become an expert on what we're trying to accomplish, and I didn't want to restart that. I didn't want to lose that investment and that knowledge. And I think there's probably a lot of people that share that issue, especially if they don't have a resource. So what do you say to that worry and concern? Well, the the... The best way, is, today especially, the best way to go ahead and avoid that concern is to go out and hire new people. Get rid of your plow horses right now. Go out and pull the trigger. Sit down with them, explain what's going on, and let them go. Bring in upgraded talent. Upgraded talent will be less dependent on your two-year training program to learn your product than the plow horse will be. The racehorse really just wants to go make that first sale. They, they have goals that they want to hit. Since they have those goals, they're going to be much quicker on the uptake on what they learn and how quickly they can translate that to your customer. Never forget that when you as a company are transferring knowledge, you're taking service or value or quality out to your customer, you've got to remember that your salespeople are actually the conduit of information transfer between the company and the customer. So who do you want transferring that that information? Do you want a plow horse or do you want a racehorse? Do you well, want a yeah. college professor or do you want a student? If the attitude is what's con- you know one of the conductors for that, then you want the best attitude. That's exactly right. And the best energy. That's right. The challenge, I think, is finding those kinds of people. How do you do that? Well... The easy answer is to encroach on your competition and hire them away. Ah. That's the easy answer. However, I would tell you that it's much more productive if you will simply hire uh, through attitude, go through lots of interviewing, Mm -hmm. um, talk to them about what their hopes and dreams are, talk to them about major accomplishments in their life. Talk to them about adversity that they've gone through and how they've handled that. Don't necessarily talk to them about, hey, have you taken a Tom Hopkins course or have you taken a Gitterman course? Those are, th- those are important items, but talk to them about attitude. Listen, there's a lot of people looking for work right now. You shouldn't have any problem scheduling interviews with people today. Interesting. Are they more likely to be recruited away in a recession? Do you think it matters? 
I think it matters, but again, I, I think the reason that the high-caliber salesperson hangs around is because of the emotional ties that they form with that company or corporation. I'll put it this way, I guess. The, the, the competition that's a little bit weaker in their ability to produce or deliver what the salesperson has mm-hmm. been selling starts to plant doubt in that top salesperson's mind, right? Absolutely. So they are more open for their own self-preservation, maybe, to looking at your organization if it's got a little bit better leg to stand on, right? That's right. The other thing to remember, though, is that you just mentioned that we had 4,000 restaurants. Was it a day, Mike, that are going out of business? No, no, it was a quarter. A quarter, okay. 4,000 restaurants a quarter. As companies go down, competition is going to go away. So your high-caliber salespeople should be aware that they have a golden opportunity right now to be the only players left in a given field. Our guest is Patrick Spahn. He's a sales professional and coach. This is the Sales Checkup on this week's edition of In Business with Mike Whitaker. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back with Mike and his guest when we return. Don't go away. sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Make sure you test your home for radon. It's easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Watch out for your family's health. Get your home tested. That's keeping it green. Green, green, green. It's our home. It's our dream. For a life that's healthy and clean, make it green, green, green. from the US EPA. If your company event, sales team, or management team could use a shot on the arm with a strategic message or solution, Mike Whitaker is available as a speaker or advisor on topics of confidence, getting control, increasing sales, and business strategy. For details on how you can get Mike Whitaker to be a speaker or advisor for your organization, call 877-843-4110. That's 877-V-4110 for details. Or visit MikeWhitaker.com. Yoo-hoo! Iris here, your IRS problem solver. With a question about your taxes, how low can you go? The more deductions and tax credits you have, the better for you, right? But how do you know if you're taking all the legitimate ones you can? Go to irs.gov for all the information you need to see how low you can go. Hey, we are not talking the limbo here, people. irs.gov. See how we can help you. If you have a question for Mike Whitaker, by the way, I want to spell his last name for you. Uh, some people don't know this, but it's spelled W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R, MikeWhitaker.com, www.MikeWhitaker.com. Lots of great information there for you. And you can also catch previous Mike Whitaker shows in business with Mike Whitaker. Our guest this week is Patrick Spahn, uh, if you've just joined us. He is a sales professional. He's a coach, CEO, 
And uh, the theme of this week's show is the sales checkup. And we're doing our sales checkup methodically through a series of questions that are just real-world questions. And so, uh, Pat, I think our mutual favorite sales movie is that movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Remember Absolutely. that? Mm-hmm. Starring Ed Harris and Alec Baldwin. Uh, my, one of my favorite scenes is, uh, you know, the whole sales group's assembled, and uh, Alec Baldwin says, uh, for the sales contest, first place is a Cadillac. Second place is steak knives, and third place is you're fired. Absolutely. Uh, do, do contests and blunt discussions like that work today? Well, I don't really think that they actually do work today. <laughs> I have not been a big believer in negative motivation for a while. Uh, my first sales manager sat me down and just told me that there was one rule. I would go on 25 sits a week. He didn't care if I did 25 in one week, five each day, 10 one day, 15 the next. He didn't care. But I needed 25. First week, I didn't do it. We'd talk. The second week, I didn't do it. I was fired. Mm. That was uh, his sales motivation pitch to me. I had a wife, a family, a mortgage. I was going to make those calls anyway. So his discussion with me made absolutely no difference to me. That's, again, the, 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 the racehorse, right? That's right. What do you think the plow horse does? I think the plow horse begins to hunker down. Look for a different position. Look for a way. Customer service. That's right. Maybe there's another <laughs> lateral move I can make in the company, he would tell his wife. And when the heat's on, everyone looks for safety, don't they? That's right. Uh, you know, we've talked about the fact that we have a lot of competition right now in, in a recession. And um, you mentioned off during the break about keeping the pressure on, even when the clients aren't buying as quickly. Uh, why did you want to highlight that? Well, it's important to understand that in today's environment, the th- the, most companies can produce comparable products or comparable services. That's, that's really important to understand. If you look at a GM automobile or a Ford automobile, they're fairly comparable in quality ratings, miles per gallon, comfort, those kinds of things. Some people will argue back and forth about that, but the truth is that they're fairly comparable. So what's the difference going to be? The difference is going to be how often you touch your customer. That's important as far as customer retention is concerned. So you need to be, if you're not doing it currently, you need to begin to follow up with your customers on a much more regular basis. You need to be touching them both from the customer service side and from the sales side. Letting them know you're not just an also-ran assumption they take for granted, right? That's right. That's right. And always bring innovation to them. Always bring new ideas. They may not use them. They may not, right? But you you tried. That's right. You you get in front of them as often as you can. From a revenue generation standpoint, you need to be doing more than your competition is today. You need to be going on more calls, picking up the telephone more often, asking for business more than your competition does. The pressure needs to be put on today because as this economy shakes out, companies will go down. Now, look... Just because you didn't get the contract with Company A doesn't mean that you won't eventually get that contract. And you'll get that contract because some of your competition will fall by the wayside. They'll go out of business. They won't have the money to fund their sales force anymore, so they'll turn all of the sales activity over to the customer service Mm -hmm. department. Things will change as budgets begin to tighten up and as sales tighten up. So you keep the pressure on. As a sales organization, you keep the pressure on, you contact the prospect, the true prospect, more often when your supplier falls down, goes out of business, walks away, you will, by virtue of exposure, by virtue of being top of mind, you will win that business. So 
everyone calls when things things get rolling better, right? Because they think, okay, there are people will be buying, but right now it's even more important. That's right. You know, the sales manager is a big part of this uh, for any organization over, what do you think, uh, four or five salespeople? You know, you need, mm-hmm. a, you need a sales manager, right? Sure. What are the traits of a good sales manager? Well, they have to be an outstanding salesperson. I, uh, I've been told that those that can't play will coach, and I think that that is exactly <laughs> wrong in the sales arena. In the sales arena, you need to have a sales manager that has been there. Their nose has been bloodied. Their knuckles have been scarred. They've been told no. They've been through the highs and the lows. They understand what it means to go on a sit. They understand what it means to show up at somebody's home trying to sell them insurance and have the door slammed in their face. They understand what it's like to be a salesperson and a good one so that they can lay out what the success goals are of your organization. And they can very clearly relate that information to your salespeople. And when your salespeople come back and say, but, and, oh, there's a story, they can they can look at that little box where they're tracking their numbers and they're, they're going to be able to say, look, that story doesn't fit in this box. Just the number. How many calls did you go on? Now let's talk about what's going on with you and your lack of sales numbers. The reason that that's important is because that sales manager has been there. They understand that if you go on 10 calls, you'll probably, if you make 10 phone calls, you'll probably get three sits. And if you get three sits, you'll probably get one close. If you study any industry across the country, those are the numbers that you're probably going to see. They may differ a little bit, but those are going to be ballpark where you are. A sales manager needs to understand the effort that it takes and the expertise that it takes to increase from a 10-3-1 ratio to a 10-5-3 ratio. I mean, the real difference between the racehorse the workhorse and the plow horse is how many times at bat it really is, how many times they swing the bat. If you if you sit in front of a consumer or a customer or a prospect more times, you'll become better at what you do by virtue of the exercise. You have to swing the bat to hit the ball. Okay, well let's go up one more level then. How can a CEO help his or her sales manager right now? Well, they need to pour on the support. They need to make sure that the sales manager has the tools in place and the autonomy in place to make the decisions that need to be made. Remember that the CEO is certainly in charge. The owner of the company is certainly in charge of what happens at their company. But the employee or the salesperson needs to understand that that sales manager is their go-to guy. And they need to understand that any discipline that's meted out, any rewards, recognition that is given needs to come through the sales manager. Now, the CEO needs to be positive reinforcement, but the sales manager needs to be the person who deals with sales, and the CEO needs to recognize So that. if there's deals to be made, uh, pricing uh, arrangement, uh, last-minute negotiation, it's important the sales manager has the authority to do that. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. How do you pay salespeople today? What's the best way to build incentive for salespeople? Briefly, because I know we could go on for hours sure, on this topic. Sure. Well, I've always believed that hunger builds success. So if you can pay a salesperson exactly what they need to survive, but no more. Some sort of a base. Some sort of a base. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, it, that's it, Gary. Just that's it. That's right. Okay. That's, that's right. We keep the profit. We're going to have an yeah. organization of plow horses, Gary. No. What we're going to do is that we're going to pay people 
a, a base salary that will that will actually pay for their mortgage and for clothes for the kids and those kinds of things. But it won't allow them to build a, what I like to term, a lifestyle. It will take care of the necessities, but the commission is the reward for lifestyle. You want a membership at the country club? Go sell. You want a new car, a new pickup truck, new furniture for the house? Go sell. You want to put the kids in private school? Go sell. Commission is the key to that. All right. Well, very good. What is the uh, average salesperson thinking right now, Pat, you know, and everything that's going on? Just the salesperson selfishly. What do you think they're thinking? In today's economy? Yeah. Well, the average salesperson is probably <laughs> probably looking around to try to upgrade their, their position. There's a lot. Believe me, there, there, when we say the average salesperson, we're talking about 90% of the salespeople that are out there are average. Um, so it's the biggest part of the market. They're, uh, they're probably looking to upgrade their position right now. They're, they're probably looking to pick up extra money selling other things. They're probably looking at second businesses. But they're probably not focused on their own craft, which is a mistake. Right. Well, again, and that's why the racehorse is so important. We that's idolize right. those. Uh, you know, lastly, um, you know, tying in with our sales theme today, uh, our, our key word of the week for our frequent listener program this week is closer. So write that down. That's three in a row now, and that's for our 10-week uh, 10, uh, 10 run. So those that get the autographed copy of Entrepreneur Prison, as well as be featured on the show, keep that list. This week is closer. Pat, lastly, what's your, what are your favorite books on sales? Well, the all-time favorite book that I have is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. That is a timeless book. Every salesperson should have that book memorized. Every, every good salesperson, above-average salesperson, will will have read that book and will reread that book at least minimum of once a year. I read it each quarter. I think it's important that we read it all the time. Uh, if you go through that book, it'll tell you many things that will be mm-hmm. true in 50 years. Consultative Selling by Mac Hannon is a great book, and The Sales Bible by Jeffrey Gittimer is a, is a must-have. Those three I would have in my library. What was that one, uh, Sales Dogs? Sales Dogs. What is that? It's a fabulous book on personality profiling and right. how you can learn to read who you're sitting across the table from. Well, that's uh, stuff we don't do enough as owners and managers, is understanding what we're trying to accomplish and what the people we're hiring, right? Right. And so, Gary, any final thoughts? Yeah, I want to tell everybody that uh, you can get the sales checkup, a top 10 checklist uh, sent to you by email by signing up for our free electronic newsletter, Smart Biz. And you can do that by going to Mike's website. And at the bottom of the homepage, you'll see... The very brief form, your email address is never shared with anyone, so sign up. And by signing up, you will have access to more content that could help you and the business you do each day. Uh, and don't forget our frequent listener program. Start your list of keywords, and uh, you can catch the keywords on previous shows. And uh, this week's uh, word, again, is the closer. Now, next week's topic is starting or expanding a business. Where we, uh, where are you going to take your business and how we're going to help you do that through a fundamental checklist of key considerations If you're already in business, the expanding part is important because a lot of businesses need to diversify their product line, sales channels to stabilize these days. So we want you to listen in next week, and we hope that each Saturday morning at 6 a.m. you'll make it a habit to start your new business week on Saturday mornings as we get in business with Mike Whitaker. You have a good week, Mike. We'll talk to you next Saturday. Pat, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. And this is Mike Whitaker signing off as the Defender-in-Chief of the American Entrepreneur.